This is Michael Enzi, and you're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. Morton will try to go all the way. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trent. What Trent makes, the world takes. Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. How you doing today, Mikey? The energy level, Tommy, that you bring to the show, I, I can't match it. It's unparalleled, but I, I am doing well. It's a, it's a wonderful, sunny Saturday here in San Diego. How would I not bring this energy level? Mike, we're doing something we love. We're talking Seton Hall basketball. We're bringing former players on. And, you know, you should be excited because this one's right up your alley. I'm just not a morning guy. I mean, we do these podcasts for these interviews early in the morning on like a Saturday. The coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Once we get the questions going and the player starts engaging, I get all revved up. But if you want my take on this one as we intro the Patrick Outta interview today, we haven't had a chance to talk about Sandro all summer. It, it kind of hurts me that we haven't had to be able to talk about Sa- Sandro. Why am I bringing up Sandro relative to Patrick Outta? You are always teasing all the fans about how Sandro was compared to Arturis Karnishevis and the flexibility or versatility of this European big man to join Seton Hall and bring all these, these options to the table. Patrick Outta was the first guy to give us that type of excitement. People forget about that. Patrick could shoot the three. He could put the ball on the deck. He was a big body that liked to pound underneath and could finish against under the rim. Intellectual ball player. I was a big fan of Patrick. And it's unfortunate he had some moments in his career where uh, he had some injuries to his feet and that kind of slowed him down. And he was there right before the Heraldry recruiting class showed up and the team kind of took off and had all the success. But Patrick was part of the rebuild. He kept Seton Hall respectable. He was part of that team that knocked off Villanova in the Big East tournament. Pat's got some really good stories, and the fans need to hear about it. Well, what's exciting is after his time at school, he got himself healthy, and he's had a tremendous international career playing for professional teams all over Europe in addition to playing for the Czech Republic national team. I'm excited, like always. Well, I mean, that, that's important because we talk about all the, the glory days while they played at Seton Hall, but we are just as proud of our alumni when they go on to bigger and better things in their post-collegiate playing days. You got what happened with Adrian Griffin and Mark Bryant and Artie, but Patrick, like you said, has had a really, really good professional career to this point, and I expect bigger things from him to come. So let, let's do it. 
He played for Seton Hall University from 2010 to 2014. After graduation, played internationally in countries such as Poland, Spain, Italy, France, and recently signed the contract with the Yokohama B Corsairs in Japan. He has represented the Czech Republic national team since 2015, most recently helping them to a sixth place finish in the 2019 FIBA Basketball World Cup. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live, Patrick Auda. Patrick, how are you today? Hey guys, thank you. Thank you very much for the warm welcoming. Warm, warm is an uh, understatement, Patrick. Jeez, Tom is like a thousand times over the top of those intros. <laughs> Sorry, but um, I really, I really appreciate that I can be, I can be on this, on this podcast. You know. It's always great to talk with somebody from from Seen Hall or or from with uh, people that that went there, alumni, you know, because it has always I always felt it like this has been more than just a, just a school for me, you know. It it felt really like a like a family during the time when when I was there all those four years, and also you know until this day I still keep in in, in touch with with some people from over there and uh, every time I get the chance in, in summer I'm trying to fly fly over visit the school and see as many people uh, as I can that, that I know from from the area and uh, it just it always feels feels great you know when when I can speak with uh, with somebody that has some connection with with scene hall Patrick you don't need to be thanking us we should be thanking you for Tom and I this has been a fun journey as well. We're trying to be sensitive, you know, where we're talking to all the people about what's going on in their life. Tom was super excited when we recently had Remus Caucanus on because Remus is all the way out in Spain. And now we get a chance to talk to you all the way out in the Czech Republic. And it kind of gives us another perspective of what's going on in the world. Right now in the U.S., we are struggling to deal with what's going on with the coronavirus and the pandemic that we are faced. But it's not just domestic. It's global. Tell us what's going on in the Czech Republic. How is that country managing the social distancing and the quarantine so effectively compared to the United States? Well, you know, like uh, when when the pandemic started or this crazy situation started, it was like I think mid middle of March, and uh, I was I was in France at that time, right in the middle of the of the season. When when the situation happened, they obviously they they stopped the league, they they paused the league there. They told us that all the foreign players can can go home. So uh, I flew home at, at that time. I think it was like March 21st. At that time, already in in, in Czech Republic, they took the situations situation very. They thought it was really dangerous, you know. And uh, they started with a lot of restrictions right from the from the beginning. You know, they closed all the all the shops, all the restaurants. Then they only opened the the necessary places like like food shops and uh, and some medical medical places uh, everybody that had to go out go outside had to wear a mask you know so it was it was really strict and uh, a lot of people were were scared at that time like i remember when when i got home and you can go through the city and literally see no people it was it was like a ghost town you know so at, at that time it was really it was really scary but I think it was really good that the the government did these restrictions because I think it, it helped us a lot. Obviously, we with the 
10 million of people were not uh, such a big country like like the United States. But I think in the end, it, it helped to have the number of the people infected very, very low. I think it was maybe in in couple couple thousands, maybe maybe ten twenty thousands, which I think was was not a lot compared to other countries in in Europe. And uh, for example, uh, I remember like when I was in France at that time when when I was leaving, it seemed like they didn't really care that much about the situation, or, or it looked like they thought it wasn't gonna hit them that hard. And later, later on, like uh, there was a way more people infected over there, you know, hundreds of, of of thousands. I think that was the that was the reason, you know, because if if they did the same restrictions like we did from from the beginning, it could have been much much better. So I was really happy that I was I was home at that time with my family, and we stayed safe during from from March during the whole the whole summer. Right now, the the situation is much better. Uh, people can go outside anywhere. They don't have to wear the masks. All the places are are open. Maybe some events are are still not allowed. You know, when it's maybe over like 500 people, it's still not possible. But besides that, I think pretty much everything else is back to back to normal life. You know, so I was following the the situation in the in the states as well. And uh, I was trying to contact some some of my friends there to to see how the situation is. And I know in some states it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty serious. I know like nobody knows how it's gonna it's gonna continue. You know, I think that's the that's the worst part of this that nobody has experience uh, with this sickness. You know, and nobody really knows when it's gonna go away or how long it's gonna take. But I just hope uh, it's gonna be soon. I'm a little bit jealous. You say kind of back to normal. I don't even know what the heck back to normal is going to be like for us. <laughs> Mike's in his garage all day long. Well, you know, <laughs> we were real excited when we were talking to you a, a few weeks ago, trying to set up this time and date for this interview. And you were kind of hesitant a little bit because you had just brought up that you signed a contract in Japan and you wanted to get into the swing of things before we actually nailed down a date. So Mike and I were joking internally that, hey, we're sitting here on this great scoop. Nothing's been announced that Patrick's going to Japan. We're excited. But we expected you to be in Japan by now. So what's the status of the contract? Well, I thought at that t- at this time uh, that I will be already in, in Japan too, you know, because uh, we were supposed to start the, the preparations for the season on uh, August 17th. Uh, I think the the team there, Yokohama, they already they already started with the with the local guys, but me, for example, and uh, and and the coach because he he is American, uh, we still have to wait because Japan has their borders closed until the end of August, and after that they will see if um, if they will open it in in September or, or not. So no, nobody really knows how it's gonna be, but for sure till the end of August, it, it's closed. And uh, over there, the situation is, is not bad. They only have like around, I think, 20,000 20, people infected, you know, and they're, they, they have a, a big population. Uh, so I think they, they took care of the situation from, from the beginning and they're now just being uh, careful, you know, letting, letting people in so the, so the virus don't, don't spread more. 
and um, I just hope it's gonna it's gonna open soon because it's been a long time now uh, since I've been home. I think this is the longest summer like of my of my career, you know, because every every summer I'm usually home for like month and a half or two two months max, and then I have to leave again. And now it's been like five months, you know, so uh, it, it's been a on, on on one side it's been really good because I had a lot of time to to recover and get some rest and get my mind of, of basketball. So now when I'm starting to practice again, I, I feel I feel much better. I feel rested, and I feel like I have uh, I have a real hunger for for the for the game again. Patrick, you don't have kids, right? Not yet. <laughs> no, when, not when yet. You have, when you have kids, I'll tell you what a long five month summer is. <laughs> I'll tell you, we're all stuck in the same house, and they're climbing on the walls, and you and you want to hide in your garage. Trust me, you'll want to hide in the garage. All right. <laughs> Speaking of getting out and about, exploring the opportunity to play in Japan, you recently came back from France, played ball in the Czech Republic, the United States, but it seems like it all kind of got started for you from a global perspective when you got a chance to play at the Canarius Basketball Academy, uh, which was established back in 2007. The academy was created, for those who don't know, to develop basketball players from all over the world. It's now been around for 13 years and has since sent 65 players to division one college programs you chose to play there from 2009 to 2010 and you were quoted as saying on the one side it was the toughest year of my life so far but it really helped me to develop myself and it helped give me the opportunity to go to america can you take a moment and talk about the program and how coach rob orayana developed and ran and how he kind of prepared you to get ready for the next level for sure, all those years back and and now the the statement is still a hundred percent true. It was a really great year for me for for experience and uh, it it kind of opened my eyes to see basketball from from this different perspective because until then I was just playing basketball because it, it was fun. You know, I was I was doing what what, what I really liked. But at that time, I realized, or or the CBA made me realize that if you want to be a good player and play some high-level basketball, you have to really put the, a lot of work in, extra work, and uh, all the things that, that that go with it. And I learned all that when I was when I was at the Canaries and. Um, this helped me a lot to be a better player. You know, it was really tough year. Since that moment, I've started to appreciate everything a little bit more because over there it was the the conditions weren't really so good. You know, the the academy was was in their beginning and uh, it, it was kind of tough year. But all all the things that I've been through there, it it made me the the person I am now, and I know what what I have to do to be a good basketball player and a good person. Well, it didn't seem like it took you too long to become a good basketball player because at one point you traveled to the U.S. while playing for the CBA and you had quite the showing at the National Prep School Invitational out there in Rhode Island. You averaged 17.3 points per game, almost 10 boards at 9.8. And according to reports, after that tournament was over, you were then recruited by over 50 D1 schools from the States. And up until the final days, you were even pondering a lucrative offer from top European clubs. 
Who were some of the other schools that were out there giving you the most interest? You know, with the, with the schools, because at, at that time, I really had no idea about, about college basketball. So Coach Rob helped me a lot with uh, picking the, the right one because he, w- he was telling me names and, uh, uh, and lo- he was looking at me like, yeah, those are good schools. And I was just like, okay, I, I don't know any of them. Like, please help, <laughs> you know? So uh, th- th- this was always funny to, to people, you know? And they, later on, they've been, they, they were asking me like, oh, okay, did you come here and uh, visit the campus? You know, like all, all the recruits do and stuff. I said, no, like the, the coach told me, hey, I think this is the best option for you. If I were, if I were you, I, w- I would sign here. I said, okay, where do I sign? You know, and, and, and that was it. I didn't need to, I didn't need to know anything, anything more. I, I, I trusted him. I knew he was going to pick the, the right place for me because I couldn't do it myself. Who made this lucrative offer and, and what were the chances of actually that becoming the reality instead of coming to Seton Hall? Well, there were some some teams in in Spain, not from the not from the first division, but it, it wasn't really so uh, interesting to me, because especially after we made the the trip to the to the states to the prep school tournament, I fell in love with the with the country right away. You know, with the lifestyle and and with everything and the way they uh, the basketball is played there. And uh, I just really wanted to go to the States, you know, because I wanted I wanted to be there for longer than just two, two weeks. You know, I wanted to experience everything. I thought I, I wasn't also ready to sign with the with the team and then get on a higher higher level. Uh, I thought that if I go to if I go to the right college, I will have some more years to to get better and get some more experience so I can sign with the, with the better team after that. Well, we're going to have to send Coach Rob a, a nice thank you card, but he, he eventually pushed you towards Seton Hall. But you came at a really interesting time for the program, which you probably had no idea. Bobby Gonzalez was just relieved of his duties, and this young coach was jumping from Iona to Seton Hall. Kevin Willard's first year as head coach coincided with your freshman year. He was a young 34 years old at the time. What was his demeanor like at practices and on the sidelines running us Biggie's program for the first time? You know, the years after when I, when I played professional, like the basketball is a little bit different and the, the coaching is a little bit different. But since the, since the day one, it, it looked to me like uh, Co- Coach Willard was was there, you know, all, all the time, and uh, he was trying to to do the best for for the players, you know. And uh, the practices we we had, it, it it really felt like it wasn't just a, like a team practice, but he was also coaching like a lot of individual stuff. And there was one big thing that I really liked about him. Because later on, when when I was with different pro teams, you know, everybody's just focusing on the on the team, and they don't really focus so much on the on the individuals to to get them better, you know. Even if it's uh, the coach telling you telling you things like some small details that you can improve, and also the the workouts, you know, everything is pretty much just just team workouts or maybe some shooting. But at, in college, we spend a lot of times 
a lot of time with the with the individual workouts even if it was on the basketball court or in the weight room i think that was the great great approach you know and sometimes uh i miss that uh with the with the pro teams you know the it's more just about about the team to have the team win and and um at college like of course they coach wanted to win as well you know but he also spent a lot of time to make individual players better you know and uh so there was one thing i really liked and uh throughout all all those years you know we we had a great relationship together he helped me with with everything uh i needed and i was just happy i had the i had the shot to to play for him so even to this day you know coach willard gets a lot of credit for his player development was there anything in particular with your game that he saw that he worked on with you I think when I was coming to the States, I, I was playing the position three and uh, and four sometimes in, in Europe. And I felt like I wanted to play the, the three position more. And uh, he kind of saw it and um, he, he thought that for me, it would really be better to play the four and maybe sometimes the five when we played smaller, smaller teams, you know. I, I didn't like it, I think, in, in, in the beginning, but late, later on, I was really happy we we did this little little change and I was started I started to focus more on the on the things that the four men do than when when you play as a as a three and I think overall this was much better for me because I wasn't quick enough or my shot wasn't good enough to be like a like a real three man and I started to feel much better at the at the four position and for sure, for my future career, this was this was a, a great, great change. And I, I've been kind of following your career as you played internationally. You definitely look more explosive in your game right now. And you kind of have this hybrid 3-4 in your game internationally. I think Willard had to play more 4-5 because we had no choice. We, we needed a body down, down underneath on that roster. But, I mean, your game really became more explosive as the years went by. Is that because of that individual development or is that just your game has matured over the years? It, it was all, all the experience, you know, like four years in playing in, in college. And then after that, every year I was in, I was in different team. Uh, so every year I got different, different experience. So I think the, the, my game was still pretty much similar, but it was all these experiences and, and like small details I learned throughout those, those years, you know, the, helped me change the game a little bit and read the game more so i think it was i think it was just this now freshman year had to be a little disappointing the team finished 13 and 18 even with seven upperclassmen as holdovers from the bobby gonzalez era to go along with you and a freshman called fuquan edwin one of our favorites here jeremy hazel was a star of that team he had some injuries how much did those injuries play into the disappointing results for that season? You know, always when you have some bigger injuries like like that happened that, that year, it always stops the team during during the season. You know, and it's it's obviously it's always always bad. And I felt like we we didn't have other guys that can step in the the same way. But for me, you know, it was it was tough because I was I was the youngest I was the young the young guy that year and uh, everything was still new for me. 
you know, first year in, in the States and, and uh, I was still trying to find myself in the in the basketball you know because it was different different style i tried i tried more to fit in and do what i have to do and not to focus on on things that i cannot i cannot affect you know so obviously it it, it wasn't a great year that that we wanted for 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 the first year I, I was there but i just still tried to learn as much as as i could even from all the older guys usually only the, the the good things you know and uh, and I knew you know there was there were gonna be more more years and just try to learn from from this season and uh, get the next season try to make it make it better than was the the one before well learn fit in however you want to describe it you obviously made strides heading into your sophomore season and, and the expectations for that team were definitely lowered I mean as Tom mentioned, with all the upperclassmen, even though it was Kevin's first season, I think that the fans were expecting those senior leaders to help carry the team. But going into your sophomore season, clearly not the expectation. However, Jordan Theodore and Herb Pope have an outstanding senior campaign that ends up leading the team to a 21-13 and 13 record. You kind of step up your game, seven points, four rebounds. But before that season even got started, the team was almost basically stricken by tragic news. Herb Pope had a near-death experience. They even had to be revived and brought back to life as he kind of passed out in the stairwell, as the story goes. How did that moment impact the chemistry of the team heading into the season? You know, I think every moment like that, obviously it's uh, it's it's scary, but at, at some point it brings the, the team together, you know, because... In the end, like it was, it was just us, you know. Obviously, there's a lot of people around us that tried to help us and and other things. But in the end, it's just the guys on on the court, you know, that really can do something to win to win those games. I think situation like that brought us a little closer to to each other because uh, even even then, like it, it it felt like we we were a team and. Uh, we started to be more like a like a family you know because we we knew each other a lot and uh when you have something like that happen to one of your close friends it, it affects everybody around him i think so that definitely could have been for sure it was a bad thing but maybe for 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 the team in the end it was something that that happened and brought us uh, more together so so it was it was good for for the team you know for the for the way we we felt and uh then we just tried to express it on on the court that we are we're in this together and uh i think it was a really good good season you know we we really hoped for uh getting in the in the tournament so in in the end it was it was kind of a bummer that we we didn't get there team comes together and it was a it was a young team and, and Young's probably an understatement. Basically, the entire team was underclassmen, including some of your former CBA teammates, Aaron Jaramapur, Harold Carlos had joined the roster. But the transformation of Jordan Theodore, in my mind, that he made from his junior season to his senior season was phenomenal. I mean, take a moment and talk about the leadership that Jordan was able to bring to the point guard position and his ability to guide the team throughout the year. 
he was amazing. I never really played with the point guard like like that before. I think like he was a he was a real fighter and he had a he had a big heart for for the game. Obviously he had a talent, but I uh, was always looking up to him like he he was the guy who who always brought it, you know, and uh he tried to carry the the, the team with him, you know, and uh tried to tell us uh, sometimes what, what what to do, you know, and uh, we, we try we try to follow. Uh, but he was really he was a really gr- great leader, and uh, I, I still follow him until this day. You know, sometimes we're in touch, and I follow his his career, the the teams where where he was playing, and he's been having a, an amazing career. You know, in 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 Europe, he uh, was in some really good leagues, and. Um, he played for some really good teams and had some uh, results. And uh, I, I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, like he just has it in him and uh, he showed that in college. And I think like he keeps showing that during his professional career that uh, he's the really the he's really the point guard that everybody wants on the team, that he's the, he's the floor general. Well, the team got off to a great start that year, obviously, with a respectable showing at the Charleston Classic. You ended up beating Auburn in the Big East SEC Challenge, and you also won a tough game at Dayton, which you scored a career high, or at least a then career high, of 18 points. And then the big news, the beginning of the Big East uh, schedule, you end up upsetting number eight, UConn. Now, was there one particular point that you guys figured out that, hey, this can be a really good season for us? Well, you know, it's been kind of a lot of years, years back. Uh, You're not that old, Patrick. You're not that old. You're not like Mike and me. I, I I don't remember particularly uh, if there were some points during during the season that were like a, a, a key points. You know, uh, I think uh, we we started the season the season great, and I just felt like we were we were on a on a good flow, you know, and uh, in a good rhythm for for the rest of it. And I, I think we didn't really think about it that much you know we just we just went out there and wanted to show that we play good basketball together and i don't think there was a lot of thinking about it you know we weren't talking about it like hey we're gonna go to the tournament or we're gonna do this or we're gonna do that we took one game at, at a time and we just wanted to win all all the games you know that, that was it so i think no, there wasn't much much thinking in there or calculating like what we need to do we just we just play basketball now like typical seton hall seasons we have these ups and downs and that includes that season with a six game losing streak at one point but the team righted the ship to get back to eight and eight in big east play 19 and nine overall with a big 18 point home win against number nine georgetown and everyone thought there you just probably needed one of the next two games to finish up at 500 at minimum in the Big East and get into the tournament. But then Rutgers and DePaul happened. I don't know if you remember those two games or not. As you said, it was a long time ago. That, that That's kind of where we get the advantage of looking back at these seasons. But do you remember anything that particularly may have stood out as going wrong in those games against kind of lower talented teams? 
I would say if I if, if I did, but you know, for for me sometimes uh, because you play some of the teams every every year, you know, and and sometimes I don't remember clearly which game was was which. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really good with uh, with remembering like points and and the scores and 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 stuff and stuff like that. Remember what happened? It was it was the end of regulation or at some point in overtime, and her Pope fouls out on a moving screen. I'm not sure if Theodore had the ball at the top of the key, and I mean Herb didn't move. I mean, this is a it's a tightly contested game, in-state rivalry. You know, tournaments on the line. And they foul out Herb for a moving pick for his fifth foul. I don't even think he flinched. And oh, I remember the, the crowd was going nuts about that call. Does that ring a bell? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick's played too much professional ball at this point. Well, you know what? We won't belabor the point about the NIT either. We've always said Seton Hall should not go to the NIT. We don't do well historically. We'll go on. Mm-hmm. But coming into your junior season... It was an, it was kind of a, another disappointment, you know. Fifth game of the season against Maine, you break a bone in your foot. The team goes on to struggle. Uh, you took a red shirt that year, if I'm not mistaken. And tell me, how challenging was it to sit out the whole season and not be able to help your teammates out? You know, it was it was crazy because I had a I had a knee surgery before that, but it was kind of over the over the summer it took some months but in the end like i didn't miss a big part of the of the season so this was really uh the first time that that happened to me you know and it was like right in the beginning and and uh i thought i, I started the the season really good like i was i was feeling good on the on on the floor i think i even played some some solid games before and uh and then the injury happened so obviously like um for me it was it, w- it was devastating you know and uh and at that time you know like when something like that happens you know like you start to question all, all the whole year like what's what's gonna happen or if there's a chance to to come back but then also you you start to think like hey like like hopefully it's gonna it's gonna get to 100 percent again and it's not gonna be more than than one year you know and and uh I think I was worrying about that uh, a lot because I, di- I didn't know uh, how it's gonna be. You know, they had to put put a, a screw in my in my foot, so it, it it felt crazy to me. And I was really I was really sad that I couldn't I couldn't play more the the, the season because to be out there with with the guys and then just see it uh, from from the from the seat, you know, the the whole season. It, it it drove me it drove me crazy like uh, you know like I always wanted to do something to to help them to be out there with them and and, and I couldn't and for sure it was it was really it was really tough for me but at, at that time uh, obviously I had a, a great team around me with the with the doctors and the, and the physios and and trainers that that were helping me and uh, at that time like. I started to feel like if if I come back, like I have to I have to be better than when when I was before. I have to be 100% healthy, and uh, I, I think I had more hunger for for the game because watching the the whole season without 
without playing you know it it, it made me it made me angry and uh i really wanted to make up for it the the next year because i i really felt bad that i missed the whole season well you could just tell that you were angry because when you got back on the court to start your red Sir junior season you put a hurting on mammoth you had a breakout for a career high 27 points 10 rebounds eight of nine from the floor perfect from three nine of nine from the free throw line at that point we thought as fans that the sky was the limit how did you think your game was going to develop going through that season i really thought that i put a lot of work in uh that that summer you know because i, I felt like this was something i needed to do after not not playing the whole year before and uh i know this was going to be uh, my my fourth year i wasn't sure if i was gonna if i was gonna stay for for one more or not and um i just felt like i have to show now that that i'm ready again to to play great great basketball and um i just tried to do i just tried to do everything that that i could you know for 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 myself and for for the team well, to me, the, the irony is that the very next game that Seton Hall played was Oklahoma at the Barclays. And it was one year and a day since you broke your foot the year before. Seton Hall fans will remember that game mostly for the 86 to 85 loss in which the team surrenders a seven point lead with under a minute to play, ultimately costing the team a shot at number one Michigan State. But what gets lost in that game recap is that you go down with another injury to your right foot. It didn't cost you the season this time, but it forced you to sit out an entire month. What was going through your head when you first went down with the injury and how difficult was it to have to continually deal with this recurring foot problem? Well, I, th I think the first idea was, I was thinking like, oh my God, like not again, like this, the same thing. Like it, 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 I kind of felt a lot of pain and uh, I felt like there was something wrong with the, with the screw in, in, in my foot. Uh, so at that time I was I was very scared, but after checking with the with with the doctor and with the with the trainer, like it showed it was just a, it was just a small thing. So there was kind of relief. Like I know I missed uh, some time after after that. Uh, they had to fix my my shoe a little bit to make the insults uh, stronger. They actually had to put like an extra like a metal plate in there so it was it was it was uh you were playing with a metal plate inside your sneaker yeah wow. yeah <laughs> and actually later on when uh, i think when we played at the Rutgers, it, it it was really sharp on on one end and uh it like and one moment when when i stopped it it went through the shoe so i had to go get another go get another pair uh, because the, the whole the whole shoe was 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 ripped, you know, from 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 the metal. Uh, but it was like for me, it was just a small adjustment at, at the time, and I was like, hey, like if it's gonna help me and I can I can play, uh, I'll I'll do anything, you know. I, I just wanted to get get back on the on the floor, so it, it didn't take uh, a lot of time to to rest it, and. Um, I think I was really happy that it wasn't anything serious again. See, I, I think that team that year gets a little bit, how do I put this? You know, a little, a little under the radar and how good they were. 
I mean, that team ends up heading into the Big East tournament with a record of 15 and 16, you know, as the eighth seed. Most people are like, eh, no big deal. But while you were out, the team lost to FDU and St. Peter's. You're probably not losing those games if you're healthy. And then during conference play, you guys lost six games by a total of 14 points, including four games by only one. I mean, any one of those games could have gone in a different direction. And all of a sudden, you're heading into the Big East tournament with a really strong record, possible chance to go back to the NCAA tournament. I know it's crazy hard to win four games in four days, especially being the eight seed. But did the team believe that they could pull it out if they got some of those close games to finally go their way? You know, for sure, every game when uh, when the score is is tied all game or you're, you're up a little bit or down a little bit and uh, and it's close game till the end and then in the end you lose by a point or two or or just just a little bit, you know, it, it hurts way more than when, you know, 10 minutes to go that you're, you're down 15 or, or, or 20, you know, and it's going to be hard to to come back to to win the game, you know. So all those games for for sure hurt us a lot, but I think at, at, at that point, like either either you deal with it and you get over it and you get ready for the next game, or you cry about it, you know. And when uh, we were before the the Big East tournament, um, I think always be, before the tournament, you know, when you know this is the only way to to get there is win all the games, like. There is nothing you can you can lose. You just have to put everything on the line and and try to win all all those games, you know. Because if if you don't, the the season is over. So you, for sure, give everything to to the, to those games, you know, and try to try to win them no matter what. Well, nice bit of foreshadowing from Mike and yourself because you guys do go on a little bit of a good run in the Big East tournament. The team goes on to beat Butler. You shock Villanova, which is always a positive in our minds. And then you end up losing a tough battle to Providence in the semifinals. You had a really solid game with 9-9. Nine and nine. During that game, though, the team always seemed to be down 3-5 to five points. It was never able to get over that hump. And it's probably because LaDante Henton had a monster game of 26 and 14. Now, Patrick, what do you remember most about that run in the Big East tournament? I think the first game that we played, uh, we played Butler. I think we definitely knew we can beat them. And uh, for us, it was it was like a must to, to keep going in the tournament. And, and then the second round when we played Villanova, I think like, Maybe at that time there was nobody in the arena uh, except us. The the thought that we can we can win that game and, until today. Like it was one of the craziest game games that I have I have played with the with the great finish. You know, like I will I will remember it forever. I think it was a it was a great moment, and uh, we were we were really excited. You know, but already played two two games getting in the in the third one i felt everybody was a little bit a little bit uh, tired and um but we still wanted to to win the game and, and fight because like i said before like if you lose in the in the tournament you know the the season is over uh and i thought it was really tough game it was it, it was close game and uh I, I don't really remember what what, what happened late, later on 
that we weren't able to to finish the the game well. No, there was there wasn't but anything that really special that stood out. They just you know every time that you guys got a bucket away, Hinton was having this game of his life, like Tom said, and they just kept on pushing the lead to like five or six, and then eventually kind of like the clock ran out on you guys. Now the the time's ticking off in that Providence game. You technically have another year of eligibility left next year because of your redshirt season. But did you know you had played your final college game? I, I didn't. I didn't know because uh, I, I, even after that, like I had a co I had a talk with with Coach Willard, you know, obviously, and uh, I spoke a lot with uh, with my with my family. Uh, what to what to do next? Because all those years, um, it was like it was the best years of of, of my life, you know. And uh, at, at seeing how it was really it was really great. But at uh, I had to look at it. The, at, at that time, I was turning, I think, twenty five. That the summer uh, after after the after the after the season. And uh, it felt like for for me it it would hurt to to play another year of college basketball, you know, because you know it's for for the sport, you know, for for basketball there's certain number of of years that that you can play on a on a high level, and uh, I just felt like uh, being one year at the at the Canary Islands, you know, then four years at, at Seen Hall. I felt like it, it was enough, and uh, that I had to go start my my professional career. It felt like I, I cannot do it if I if I wait one one more year. I felt like it's not gonna be the same, and I felt like I was I was ready for it after all those all those years, and uh, this was the decision I made. Yeah, I, I could totally respect that. People sometimes forget that for you as an athlete, as you're looking forward to your professional career, the decision needs to be made almost from a business perspective. So the fact that you're older, the money and the ability to make money for X number of years, that, that totally makes sense. But we see it through the eyes of, be, of being a fan. So you do forego your you know red shirt senior season to go play professionally. And the team that you leave behind gets off to this really hot start of 13 and three, but then the season kind of gets derailed down the stretch and it really kind of fell apart due to some locker room issues. And what people always said relative to looking back to that season is that that team didn't have the senior leadership in the locker room due to the youth of the team. Do you look back and say, Hey, if I was still there and I had all that experience that maybe I would have been able to kind of been there as that senior leader and kind of help change the course of that year. I can say that for, for sure, because um, I wasn't in the situation be before, you know, because even if the, the year before it was my fourth year, there were still guys that were were seniors, you know, and uh, it, it was always like they they were the, the older guys, you know, and uh, they they kind of run everything, you know. So uh, I didn't know that if if I was ready to to do that the the season after that. For sure, I think I would I would bring some experience to to the team, and I don't really know the the issues they they were having during during the season. If if I would be the person who could who could help it, who could who could fix that, you know, maybe maybe yes, maybe a little bit, maybe maybe no. I can't I cannot really I cannot really say, but I think at at that time 
I, I wasn't really I wasn't really sure if uh, if I was the the person if I was ready to be the the leader of all the all the younger younger kids. Regardless of that decision, it obviously looked like you made a good one because you decided to move on and start playing professionally, but you also played internationally. So before we start talking about your different stops throughout Europe, I want to focus on your participation with the Czech Republic national team. You got to play in the 2019 FIBA World Cups. The team made it to the quarterfinals, and you finished in sixth place. And, and most people are like, eh, sixth place. But for the Czech Republic to finish in sixth place at that national tournament, that was a big deal. You play eight games and score 11 and a half points over those eight games. In the very first game during the first round, you go up against the United States. You know, you, you were somewhat competitive, but you got a chance to play against Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Chris Middleton, Donovan Mitchell. What kind of talent level jump was it like playing against the U.S. NBA representatives in that first game of the tournament? I think we didn't play the the best game. I think we played much, much better games after that, you know, and uh, I think it was uh, that there was some kind of respect for for the USA team, you know, because it was for for us for for the Czech Republic, you know, this was first first time at the at the World Cup, so just to be there for us, it was already like a, a great accomplishment, you know. And then um, the the first game we play is against the the USA team, and that's that's like a almost like a dream, you know. Every basketball player has, you know, because uh back in the day when we were kids we we saw the the usa team like the the team that was in in barcelona you know and it's it's always something something special and um i think we kind of had uh a lot of respect for them we didn't we didn't play play a good game it was it was great experience you know to play against all, all those guys from from nba you know and uh I think later later on they started to play not not so good later on in the in the tournament, and on the other hand we started to play play better because we started to feel more more confidence, and I think if we played them again later on in that tournament that game was a little bit different and I'm not saying we we would win but I think we would definitely do better than when we did, when we played them the, the first time right in the beginning. Go ahead, Patrick. You could say you would have beaten them in the rematch. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We All wouldn't right, expect but... anything different from an athlete. So No, look, your your game definitely improved. You you particularly, so against Turkey, you had 16 points and nine rebounds. And then on the knockout stage, I know it was a loss, but against Australia, you put in 21 points. And that team for Australia was not short of NBA talent. Joe Ingles. Matthew Dellavedova, Patty Mills, Andrew Bogut. How much confidence does it add to your game knowing that you can perform at a high level against some of the best competition in the world? You know, before before the games, you you don't think about uh, anything anything like that. But for sure, after after the game, when when you look back at it and say, hey, like these guys are the top guys. You know, they play in NBA and. Uh, like we had a solid game or I played a solid game, you know, so uh, it, 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 it felt great, you know, like it felt great that I, I know for, for myself then that I can compete with, with, with guys like that. 
uh, it was definitely a tough game and maybe sometimes it, it didn't look like it but they they played a really dirty basketball like there was a lot of grabbing and, and Matthew Dell of the Dova plays a dirty I, game I swear I swear uh, it, it it really when we even look back at, on the video like they they all seem like nice cool guys you know from Australia and all that <laughs> but on the floor like it felt definitely <laughs> different I, I i i tell you that like there were there were moments when when i actually stopped and i i had to look at the guy that, that was holding me and i was like are you seriously like doing this like i'm i'm gonna punch you and he's just like smiling at me like he didn't do anything you know so i'm like okay i guess that's the way they they played you know and uh i think it was a it was a great game you know they they just had uh I think they they play they, obviously they they play better. Patty Mills had a tremendous game, so I think that was a, a big game changer in the in in their game. I was gonna have to correct Michael after that uh, comment where he said NBA talent and mentioned Della Vadova, but we'll we'll move on a little bit here. Yeah. So at the end of that tournament, during an interview, you actually said the following: So basketball is not the number one sport in the Czech Republic as we've seen in our country over the past year during our qualification for the World Cup. And even now, the basketball there is starting to get more attention. Now the sport back home starts to be more recognized, more people know about it, and hopefully it'll bring some new player for us in the future. So one, what's the perception of basketball after that finish? And here, we're giving you a chance to toot your own horn here. Are you recognized as a popular national sports figure now after that performance? <laughs> um, like the years before, because I was with the with the national team since uh, 2014, and um, until the the World Cup, we actually played at two European Championships, which in in, in Europe it's a, it's a pretty big event, and uh, in in the first one. That was in 2015. We finished seventh, and uh, it felt like nobody back home knew like something was going on. Then the the second European Championship that was 2017. Uh, it, it it was it was the same. Like not real, not a lot of people knew there was actually some kind of tournament like that, you know. But going in the going in the World Cup. Because every everybody knew it was it was already achievement for us just just to be there to to qualify uh, and and play there, it, it was it, it was a big thing and uh, I think it, a lot of people uh, thought we would finish in in the, in the group in the in the that we that we wouldn't advance and I think when uh, when we advanced from from the group like. It brought a lot of attention, and from all of a sudden, you know, I, I know that from from people that were they were back home, they were telling me all this. My my friends, my family, like, it was everywhere. Like, it was it was on TV, you know, like all the games were on TV. But now they they started to talk about us in in, in news. Like, you can see articles in in newspapers around the whole country. There were billboards with with our faces on them. And uh, even people that didn't follow basketball until that moment, 
they started to watch watch the games and like during the tournament sometimes there were some of my friends who I haven't heard from them for for years and I know they don't follow basketball from all of a sudden they're like oh man like yeah I, I saw you on news I saw you on on TV like I'm, I'm you know I'm a, I'm a teacher and we watch the game during the class because um, in Czech Republic, it, it was sometimes the time of the game was in, in Czech. It was during during the day, so it was they were telling me like, yeah, we were, uh, or somebody was telling me like, we were on vacation in Greece and we watched it on the phone, you know, on the on the beach. So from all of a sudden, like, there was a lot of attention from from the people and uh, and a lot of people were were cheering for us, and it really felt felt great at that time because it felt. Like it was the first, the first time. Like there was so many people supporting us from from home. You know, even even later on after after we finished the tournament, it was I think it was a great success. You know, it was like hi- historical moment for us. I remember like when when we were flying back to back to Czech to to Prague, and then the next day I was taking the train to to my hometown. And the next day, I was already flying to France, so it was a lot of traveling. But during those two days, like there was probably more than ten people that stopped me on the on the street and say, like, "Hey, you're the basketball player. Can we take a picture?" Or, "Or we saw you on, on TV. We were watching." And for me, it was it was like a shock, you know, because sometimes, you know, like once a year or, or like that, like somebody stops you and say, "Yeah, like I, I know you." But now it was like everywhere we we went, like somebody there knew who, who we were, and it, it it felt great, you know. I was happy, not not for myself, but I was happy for for the basketball in in Czech Republic that finally it gets some recognition because all the time it's just soccer and hockey because those are the two most popular sports, and everybody just watches those two. But now they also knew there is also basketball, you know, and uh, and maybe that we can we can play we can play good basketball. So it just really felt good that people started to to know about that, and and uh, also I thought because this year was supposed to be the the Olympics, we're uh, going to play the qualifications, and next year was another European Championship. And uh, it's usually played in in four countries, four groups in four different countries in Europe. And one of the the group was supposed to be in Prague, in Czech. And I was really excited for it because I thought like it can bring a lot of people there, and uh, it's gonna be great for for the Czech basketball. And it's gonna be a great crowd there at the at the arena. You know that it was gonna be a, a great moment, great experience. So I was a little bit sad after they announced like they they push it push it back for for another for another year. But still, the the experience we we had in in China and uh, knowing that there are so many people following and following the games and supporting us, it was it was great. Don't worry, Pat. You're going to be young enough when they push it back <laughs> after a year to still be playing. I can't say the same for Tommy and I, but he'll, he'll still be thriving. <laughs> 
or ignore the man behind the microphone there. You know, outside of the uh, great experiences with the national team, you've had a really stellar professional career. Uh, to be honest, you know, you're uh, through all your stops, you're at 11 points a game, four rebounds. Your shooting is fantastic, 56% from the field. 42% from three. It's fabulous. And you've gone to play all over Europe. You've played in Spain. You've played in Italy, in France, and my parents' home country of Poland as well. So not that that should have anything to do with the way you answer your next question, Patrick, but we love to ask our globetrotting pirates what their favorite stop has been and why. <laughs> A lot of people ask me that, and um, it's really hard for me to to decide because all the places where where I was, I, I liked every every one of them for for basketball or for the style of of life, food or the the place in in, in general. So I cannot really I cannot really say one one place that was the the most favorite, you know, but. For example, like when I when I started in in Poland, uh, I felt there I felt that I was always a little bit closer with uh, with my teammates than in any other of the the other countries because uh, obviously the the Polish people are very similar to to Czech people because we're both both Slavic countries. And uh, I learned even the language pretty pretty quickly, and then the, the next years I was able to to speak it. So maybe that was one of the one of the reasons. Uh, so I really felt good when uh, when I was playing in in Poland. I felt really really comfortable with the people there. Uh, but I knew that it wasn't it wasn't on on the same level like the leagues, for example, in, in, in Spain, Italy, France. I think those are really, really good leagues, probably some of the best in, in, in Europe. So for, for the basketball, I think I, I like those countries more because it was a little bit more challenging. Overall, I can't, I just, I can't pick just one, one place. You know, I enjoyed all, all of the seasons. I always wanted to stay at, at the place where where I was for for another year, but then another new bigger opportunity occurred, you know. So then I just went to another place, and it was it was like that. That's it, got a future it, in politics. You can't, it, it's you can't commit a, to one specific answer and make anybody happy here. It's okay, Patrick. We both know it was Poland, <laughs> but we'll move on a little bit. You mentioned that the tier, that the leagues were a little more challenging in other places. You played in the first tier Spanish league. Was that the toughest league you've played in? Uh, I think no. For for me, it was the it was the French league um, because it's a little bit different than than uh, in Spain. You know, um, because in Spain you can you, the the teams the rosters are a little bit different because I think you're allowed to have only two Americans on the team and then the rest of the foreigners have to be guys from from Europe so there's a lot of Serbian Serbians there's a lot of guys from from Lithuania and and uh, and countries countries like that and uh, for example in in France the it doesn't matter uh, when you're a foreigner like if you're from this country or, or or that country you know I think you can have 
up to four, four Americans and then two extra guys that are either Europeans or from some some of the countries in those, in, those in Africa. Dirty Australian grabbing <laughs> hold of them, right? Yeah. Maybe that's so why they don't leave the, the MBL. They all play in that dirty MBL down under. <laughs> so I think the 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 French league was definitely uh, the toughest because I felt it was the most physical one. Uh, there was a lot of great great athletes, you know, and. Uh, after every game, I just felt like uh, I just got out of a, of a boxing ring, you know, like I, I really felt like beat up and every every game was really physical. Every game was was tough and I think it was way more difficult to to play there than, for example, in, in, in Spain. All right, Patrick, I want to transition away from the court for a moment. In our last interview, we had Mike Enzi on the podcast and in addition to his on-court success, Mike has become sort of like the poster child for academic success uh, of the Seton Hall student athlete. However, prior to Mike and all of his accolades, you actually became Seton Hall men's basketball first three-time Big East academic all-star. Take a moment and talk about the culture of both the success on the court and in the classroom that Coach Willard has created at Seton Hall. Well, I think I was, I'm, I'm not going to say I was always a, a, a great student, you know, but I always uh, knew that the education is uh, really, really important. That, that was one of the things why I decided to go to play college basketball, because I wanted to make sure that I will have the, the college diploma, because I knew like playing, playing a professional sport is, is great. But you never know when it's gonna it's gonna end, and uh, I just felt like it's uh, it's a good idea to have a to have a plan B, you know, just in case something something happened. I cannot continue with uh, my professional career, so I really tried to take care of that and pick a good major that I can maybe use later in the in the future. If something happens with the with the basketball, or even after I'm done with the with the basketball, and uh, at high school I was kind of always good with with numbers because for for me it was easier to try to understand the, the logic than to learn some long texts of, of history and and other stuff and just re- remember everything. So I was always better with the numbers, so that's why I picked a, a business major. Also, another thing was that first I wanted to, because I felt like I can uh, travel a lot and uh, do something uh, with, with the traveling. So I wanted to be a diplomacy major. But the first, the first year, the freshman year, I realized there's a lot of reading and uh, my English at that time wasn't <laughs> so, so good. And I just wasn't ready for, for all of this. So I'm like, hey. I'm switching to numbers again, so let's let's do <laughs> Pat, something, a, let's do something in business, too. you know. Pat, I'm a numbers guy too. I, I I understand English. I wanted no part of reading books in college. Trust me, <laughs> I, I hear you, man. Well, well, Pat, I think you're way too um, modest with all your answers. So we're gonna change it up on you a little bit. Before <laughs> we let our guests go, we make them walk the plank. We're going to ask you five rapid-fire questions. We're looking for five rapid-fire answers. Don't think too much. Give us the first thing that pops to the top of your head. Do you think you're ready? I'm ready. 
Okay, here we go. Question number one. Most points scored in any game at any level? I can remember maybe the one against Mammoth, the 27-point the game. Question number two. Which team was your biggest arch rival? For me, it was always Lithuania. Like, I felt every time we, we played them with the, with the national team, like, it was something more. Like, it felt like it was, it was personal, you know? Like, I, I don't think we ever, like, played them in some competitions where, when it mattered. It was more, like, just some practice games and stuff like that. But it, to me, it always felt like it was more than just a game. Question number three. Toughest road environment? Cincinnati. Toughest opposing player you have ever played against? I think Joe Crowder. Best Seton Hall player you've ever seen play? Jordan Theodore. Bonus question. Best Seton Hall player from the Canaries Basketball Academy not named Patrick Auda? <laughs> Probably Harold Smith, my, my man. <laughs> Congratulations, Patrick. You've walked the plank. Oh, too funny, Patrick. Too funny. I, I, we didn't want to put you on that spot, but Aaron, Tom Mayan, Harold's, you know, they, they all had unique careers. And uh, I would have liked to see Tom play a little more, but obviously he had to go back to fulfill his military obligation. How would he have kind of developed as a Seton Hall point guard? Because he, he reminded me as one of the more natural point guards we've had in a long time. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a great kid. And uh, I, I think he... He was a he was a true point guard. Like he knew more how to pass the ball than 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 finish, you know. So it it felt really good to have him on the on the team. It was kind of sad when when he had to he had to go back. Uh, but I think like I was never really so close with him. Like I was with I was with Aaron and 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 Harold's, you know. Like even even though like we we tried, I think there wasn't a good communication or like i don't know we try to involve him more like with 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 our group like even of, of the court but i don't know he just always seemed like he liked to do stuff on, on on his own you know so i didn't know him so well personally but i thought he had a great potential to to be a, a really good point guard for us and it was just um, unfortunate that he had to leave earlier all right, T total non-basketball-related question before we wrap up. You didn't have this while you were at Seton Hall, but you got some pretty gnarly sleeve tattoos going on right now. What, what motivated <laughs> that change? Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of people asked me because uh, they were like, yeah, man, like you didn't have any any tattoos in, in college and, and until now, now you're 30. Like, what, what are you thinking? They're pretty, they're pretty badass, man. I'm not going to lie. They're pretty, I, we would have stayed a couple guys underneath the basket back in the day. Hey, I, I even have a my, – my favorite here is a pirate. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us and spending some time on a late evening out in the Czech Republic. We really appreciate you, and we wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thank you so much, guys, for, for having me. Uh, I really enjoy this. You know, like uh, I said before, I still appreciate every every contact that that I have with uh, with everybody that is connected with with Sin Hall because for sure those were some of the best years of of my life. I'm really thankful for for everything that uh, I have experienced over there 
and uh, it for sure gave me a different look on on world and a new opportunity to play on a higher level the my, my next years professionally but I know I grew there as a, as a player and as a person and it's always great to be to be coming back there you know it really feels like my my second home and uh, with the people that I'm still in in touch from from over there you know it's it's really it's like it's like my second family Patrick out everybody so if you've enjoyed this podcast please listen to our previous podcast which include interviews with former players Mark Bryant, Ganey Calandrillo, Adrian Griffin, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkoharski, I am Mike Dizzy Deziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 